If you were going to die tomorrow, what question would you ask yourself to know that your life was worthwhile? Carolyn Tate has one that I think you'll like. She's the founder of the Slow School of Business, author of Conscious Marketing, and her next book is due out very soon, and it takes her work to the next level and puts purpose at the center of prosperity. Our conversation had me thinking about the role of purpose in life and work in a very different way, and I think you will too. She shares what the essential ingredient of finding your purpose is, and what she really thinks about people quitting their job to start a business. She also makes some predictions about what will become more important in the future of work. Okay, I'm here with Carolyn Tate, who is the director of Carolyn Tate & Co. and founder of the Slow School of Business. And um, Carolyn is also an author of the soon-to-be-published Purpose Project, um, as well as the book Conscious Marketing. Welcome, Carolyn. Thanks, Tether, for inviting me. So let's start with a real basic question. What does leadership mean to you? Mm, Well, to me, leadership is not about a title or a position, I guess, just because you've been mandated to take on a C-suite role or any kind of leadership role doesn't necessarily mean to say that you're a leader. Um, I think that uh, there are many leaders in all walks of life, in family, in community, um, in in uh, not just uh, not just corporations as such. I think we tend to just think of leadership as being uh, something that is in government or institutions, churches, corporations. But I think we can all actually be leaders. And for me, a leader is somebody who turns up and participates, who has strong beliefs, um, who's there for the greater good, not for their own good. Um, that is of service. Um, they're there to help others. They're, they act as a coach and a mentor more so than a, a boss or a dictator. Mm-hmm. And um, and they display some um, really amazing traits like vulnerability and authenticity. They're transparent um, and they care deeply about other people and not just the people that work with them in, in the case of a corporation, but they care, care, care deeply about all of the stakeholders that their entity has an impact on. And obviously that includes the environment. Um, and, and a leader is someone who won't sacrifice um, others for their own uh, benefit. Uh, Fantastic. And, and, and look, you know, the, I love uh, the title of the book of uh, Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. You know, three, three words that says what leadership is all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very aligned with my ideas of leadership. I, I love hearing all of that. That's great. So I'd love to hear what you think is missing from mainstream leadership. Uh, well, firstly, I think um, what's missing from mainstream leadership is a personal sense of a higher purpose as an individual. Why am I here? What's the contribution I have to make? How am I leaving the world a better place because I exist, not just in my role but in my family, in my community? Um, and I think that's actually missing from a lot of leadership and obviously it's never been never more prevalent than it is right now in the world, what we're seeing. Um I think not only their sense of high purpose, but I also think um, a sense of co-creation and collaboration and true sense of we're all in this together. And and I think the role of a leader is to really turn a lifeless, um, dull, 
um, entity or organisation into a movement or a family or a community where, where people feel like they belong. Mm. And that to me is the test of a leadership. How, how well do the people around you feel like they belong to Absolutely. your enterprise, whether that's um, your community or your school or, or your corporation? Yeah, sense of belonging is absolutely essential. I was um, listening to something the other day that uh, identified the traditional leadership as something that isolates, whereas what the world needs is community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that, that this is where the idea of high purpose comes in. I mean, if the purpose of an entity is to be maximise profit um, at the expense of the other stakeholders, um, then we have an extractive capitalist system that doesn't really um, support um, the majority. It supports the minority. And so that's not going to be a healthy, sustainable entity ever. You know, I think um, I read a statistic the other day that in 1920 the average life of a company was 67 years. Mm. And today it, uh, that's 15 years. So, so if we want to build lifelong um, sustainable, rich, um, essential organisations that actually make a contribution, then they're going to need to be run by leaders who understand that and are there for everybody, um, not just uh, their own their own benefit. Which and is is, is that is that what the Purpose Project is all about? Uh, partly, yes. So um, I'm a big believer that the the that purpose in organisations needs to be co-created and therefore co-owned by their people. So what I see in many organisations is that the the, the purpose um, washing is really quite prevalent. Um, it's a new greenwashing. Yeah. And what, what organisations are doing is, is they're asking their consulting firm or their ad agency or somebody external just to work with the C-suite to come and develop some um, new purpose statement, which which ends up often being quite meaningless because it's not um, enabled to, well, it's not, the people aren't involved in co-creating it. And so what we don't create, we don't own. And that's just a simple fact. If you've had no hand in creating something, then you find it very hard to take ownership of it and, and to make it your own. And so the Purpose Project is very much around helping companies um, create a higher purpose, a higher purpose statement, and I use a framework to help companies write that purpose statement and co-create it. But then it's about how they make it a collective purpose. So so obviously purpose goes way beyond um, just your people. If you look at an example like Keep Cup, for example, you know, it's an amazing uh, Melbourne and Australian brand. Um, it's prevented millions and millions or billions of uh, disposable coffee cups from ending up in landfill. Um, you know, their purpose is to kickstart the demise of the disposable cup. And, and obviously now they've got Frank Green and there's a whole lot of other competitors in the marketplace. But, you know, that's a great opportunity for collaboration because if everyone's working together, hopefully we'll be able to end the use of the disposable cup. And, yeah. and, and that's a collective purpose. And so for me, companies that are like Keep Cup, um, they embrace the competition because there's enough mm. for everybody. And, yeah. and so that's when a purpose becomes truly collective. Yeah, I would. I would uh, to have that vision realised would make me very happy. I used to do looking at waste management plans, and a lot of 
office towers, sometimes 80% of the rubbish was disposable cups. And Abigail mm-hmm. actually came and talked to us and got some stats that she apparently used for years. And I also saw her at uh, the B Corps event that we were both at recently. And, and Abigail is going to come on, on the podcast in the future as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But, there, but there's another layer to the purpose piece, which... Mm-hmm. I, I work with and that is um, enabling people to bring their own purpose to work as well. Right. Um, so I think tragically um, we're in a case in the world now where there are more people, more corporate escapees in the world than there are actually people being made redundant. And so, oh, Interesting. So, That's going to so change the landscape, find, isn't it? Well, it is and we're finding that there's so many people, you know, I think Gallup said uh, the Gallup poll research from 2012 showed that 87% of employees are either not engaged or they're actively disengaged. And that hasn't so, improved much over the last 20 years, and has so it? And so therefore, you know, I say that they're actually making a dying at work instead of a living. So every yeah. single day... You know, we talk about I've got to go to work and make a living, but the reality is that so many employees are actually making a little death every day and mm. dying a little, little, a little more. Yeah. And then they're taking that home, of course. Mm. And so the the impact of that is huge. And so so we're finding that, and I think this is the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity for organisations is to actually become the arbiter and the curator of purpose in each of their people. Wow, so that makes such a difference. That, that adds another layer to the whole purpose equation. Mm. And recently um, I was in Singapore um, speaking and uh, there was a young lawyer, who, a litigation lawyer who came up to me after the conference and she said to me, you know, I hate my job, I'm going to quit. And I said, oh, well, before you quit, stay where you are. What What's something that you you really love, you know, and I use this model called the Ikigai Japanese model. It's four circles of yes. what are you good at, what do you love, what does the world need and what you can be paid for. Yep. And you can probably share that with your listeners mm, as I will. this um, podcast. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you really, really love? And she said, well, I love when I was at college and uni, I loved mentoring women. You know, women. I was, I had a I had a community of women where we were being mentored and, you know, it was my real passion. And so I challenged her to pitch her boss the idea of the, their litigation firm becoming uh, developing a mentoring program for women in law that she could mastermind and bring into the company. Wow. And so this is where the hugest opportunity for organisations are is to really help tap into the passions of their people and, and not let not make them leave them at home and actually mm. understand how they might be able to integrate them into, you know, their daily work. So what I hear you saying is that there is both a crisis and an opportunity here in terms of the, the number of people who are leaving organisations because they are dying inside uh, and not just inside. Um, and that in order to sort of stem that flow, one of the, the key elements is being purpose-based and not just having it as a, you know, these are some words that are nice on a website, but having it yeah. be, you know, um, owned by the people, created by the people, integrated, um, and, and it's just, it's, it becomes a, a deeper, uh, more meaningful um, experience that, is re- that relates directly to the work. So, so if tell me a little bit more about um, you know why why you think this is important. Oh, 
Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, but, well like, I mean, why, why shouldn't be, you know, I fundamentally believe that this should be the most important work that any leader in any organisation should be focusing on right yeah. now. Yeah, and I can absolutely see that. Because what's happened is we've shifted from the industrial age to the technology age. Mm-hmm. But we've got and, these old ideas still. And the trouble is companies are spending billions and billions of dollars on technology in order to remain relevant and competitive. And what they're doing in the process is they're actually still practicing extractive capitalist capitalism, but they're just using technology to do it. So we're seeing a very a pseudo-share economy that um, is being enabled by technology. Um, but it's still extractive capitalism because the people that are benefiting financially <clears throat> are the captains of capitalism and not necessarily everybody. Now, I'm not a socialist and I, I don't believe that wealth should be shared equally, um, but I do believe that a truly prosperous organisation shares wealth equitably. Mm. And that's a very different thing to equal. Equitability is really important. So technology is blindsiding organisations, I think, and and what what the likes of Trump and Brexit and, you know, the Dakota Pipeline and all of these, Aleppo now and all of these tragedies that are happening around the world, um, what we're seeing is a, we're seeing a new age that's being thrown at us far faster than any of us can keep up and that's the human age. Mm. And I was reading an article uh, written by Daryl Hannah and Neil Young about the Standing Rock um, scenario and, uh, and they, they made a statement that these events were like water on the garden of activism. Ah. And it's just like that line, I, I can't recall how many times I've repeated that, but companies are not understanding that, that, that people are now going to shift from apathy to activism Absolutely. and not in a, in a placard-carrying way, in a daily activist way. They're going to stop consuming fast fashion. They're going to stop, um, you know, uh, living more, they're going to start living more simply. They're going to be more mindful of their consumption and their waste, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, that's going to mean that they're going to be actively looking to purchase from purpose-driven conscious companies and work for them and invest in them, et cetera, et cetera. And so companies that don't understand that we're actually rapidly entering the human age, and this is the age where meaning is the new money. Meaning is the new money. I love that. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to survive and thrive, and I absolutely believe that this purpose work is the most important work that leaders in organisations couldn't be doing right now. It's the centre of culture programs. It's the centre of change programs. As you're going through a merger and acquisition or as you're acquiring new companies or as you're divesting yourself of companies, as change is happening in these organisations, anything that's centred in purpose is going to be much mean that there's going to be a lot more um, possibility that the company is going to survive and thrive for the long time. So fantastic! Yeah, I just I get so excited. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm 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 excited just hearing what you're saying. It's 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 very um, hopeful, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, there's so many reasons not to be hopeful at the moment. But I I hear what you're saying as far as all of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, it is going to activate us. And I feel like, you know, we've been sort of lulled into this false sense of security in in how much progress we've made. Um, However, we're at this point where, yeah, the potential for galvanizing all of that discontent Mm -hmm. into something really 
phenomenal is yeah, yeah it's 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 yeah. very exciting and so, the other thing can i, mm, I just yeah. quickly add to that tathra is that um as a um as an employee we've been conditioned to accept what we're given yes <clears throat> that that you know this is how much i'll be paid this is the job that i'll be doing this is the kpi i have to achieve these are the sales targets i must reach and and we've sort of become quite um uh, victims almost of, of kind of, well, yes, I'm being paid. They're the one that pays, that they pay the paycheck, so therefore I have to just do what I'm told to do. But it is an age where people are going to start to feel more empowered to actually bring their own purpose to work and to step up and start leading with it. Mm. Because the leaders in their big organisations, they're in as much pain as all of us. And so, you know, I have incredible empathy and compassion for the mandated leaders or the ones that are they're actually in these big, big roles, um, earning the big bucks and have big responsibilities. Yeah, they they're facing a lot their, of risk. They want their people to take responsibility for their purpose and their passion mm. and for bringing it to work. I can't believe that any human fundamentally, unless you're a sociopath, doesn't want the best for for themselves and for, for other people and their family and community. So I feel like this is the this is the big 2017, there's going to be a tsunami of purpose um, projects happening in organisations. Wow, I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I want to take a step back because I think, I mean, a lot of people who might be listening will be have a question in their mind about how you got to to this point as far as, you know, the, I mean, you've, you've written a lot of books, you've done a lot of amazing work, you've created some amazing companies. Um, so can you, can you tell us a little bit about what you did to, to get to where you are, both in terms of your career and, and those sort of characteristics that, that got you there? Ah, wow. Um, I know it's a big question, but... (laughs) Crawling, jumping, flying, being fearless, um, going into the furnace um, on numerous occasions. Adversity is our greatest uh, teacher. I always think that pain leads to purpose, um, Mm. more so than joy. Um, Our greatest adversities are the things that lead us into the work that we do and the the work that we actually have to do or we're being called to do. So, you know, there's a in 2001, I got divorced and became a single mother and started my own business and moved house all within about six months. So, so that put me into the furnace, that's for sure. Mm. And then I went into the furnace again in 2010 and and sold all my belongings and my house and gave away, closed my business and ended an unhealthy love affair and took my son to live in France for six months where he, he went to school and I wrote another book and I came back and then lived in Melbourne and I just did a lot of things. One of the things that I, I feel like is probably my biggest, um, I cultivated my strengths of community building, of connecting with people. I, I unlearnt everything that I'd learnt about capitalism because I think unlearning is more important than learning in today's world. Yeah, um, absolutely. You have to un- unlearn the, the conditions, conventionality, the conformity. We've been taught to conform. We've been taught not to be curious. We've been taught not to be creative. We've been, we've been um, conditioned through the industrial world to sort of um, 
uh, not tap into all of the things that really truly matter in our lives, mm-hmm. which, which come from a heart rather than rather than the head. So I think the thing that I've done is, um, you know, found the thing that I'm passionate about, which is writing books. And a lot of people will say to me, I want to write a book one day. I really want to write a book one day. And I'll say, well, why haven't you done it? If you really wanted to, you would have done it by now. And I think, I think it's that understanding of what really, what is your intrinsic motivator? Why do you do what you do? And, mm-hmm. you know, one of my purposes, and I think we have multiple purposes, is that I really truly want to write books that matter, that make a difference. And so I've already got my next two books in my head. Oh, and, great. You know, so so I feel like and listening listening to what you really I, I've I've tried to listen to what makes my heart sing. When am I in flow? When do I feel intense love? Um, what are my beliefs? What do I stand for? Whether that's conscious capitalism, whether it's feminine leadership, um, whether it's small footprint living, uh, community. I've, I've dug deep and, and just had what I call a free-range free learning um, process, which has been going to events and connecting with awesome people and all sorts of stuff. So I think my biggest asset has just been putting myself out there and doing doing one thing different every day, just one thing that is going to take me beyond sort of perhaps my my limiting beliefs. Mm, great. In hearing what you were saying about you know what kind of makes our hearts sing and um, you know what's important to us, I I wonder if there's this social sort of um, norm about just not even paying attention to that stuff and and the idea of actually being able to face what makes us happy and what uh you know where the joy comes from and where you know that learning from uh, from adversarial situations and that there isn't really a lot of encouragement in our society to go there and to to um explore that kind of stuff mm. and so mm. so and and i mean the word courage comes to mind but what else would you say to people who think oh well yeah that's nice but i can't imagine being able to really step into what i believe in mm. i think that for me um one of the chapters in my book or the first practice because I think we become practitioners of purpose, that it's not something that you arrive at that is some big utopian blazing lights, wow, I found it kind of moment. I think we become practitioners of of purpose and and the first thing that I would say is is surrendering And, and to me surrender is not about defeat. It's actually the most essential quality required to do uh, to find that thing that really you are passionate about that you have to just do um, that you would die for mm. and and just surrendering to the fact of really understanding that you're not happy where you are, that the work that you're doing is not fulfilling you. That that just that surrender, um, which um, uh, the serenity prayer. Um, God grant me the wisdom to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, 
and the, the wisdom to know the difference. And and I think that there's a lot of um, it's a really important um, prayer that I think a lot of people know. Um, it's one of the twelve step prayers, um, twelve step programs. It's one of the basis of, of their work. And I think surrendering, and I think part of it is also: Am I prepared to die? To, if I die tomorrow, will I? die knowing that I've done everything I could in my life and will I die even it's not even about happiness it's about will I die knowing that I've lived a wholehearted life and um you know the good life Hugh McKay's books it's a great book because it talks about dispels the myth of happiness that you know the the happiness pursuit of happiness myth Mm -hmm. And he talks about the importance of how vital it is to have a wholehearted life, mm. which will encompass joy and sadness and everything in between. Yeah. And and I think we're so afraid of negative, so-called negative emotions, yeah, but our absolutely. greatest growth comes from from sadness, from from yeah. anger, from hurt, from from feeling abandoned, rejected, you know, or jealous, you know, all of these sort of negative things. I've been thinking a lot about that that idea of the pursuit of happiness and, and you know, well, encouragement to be positive and, and I just think that there's real danger in that and, and that mm. when we think about the, the, the deep unhappiness in whether it's our work or the, I feel like there's, there's – you know, especially in the world that we experience today, there is, there is an aspect of us that is deeply unhappy. And it may be in relation to our work. It may be in relation to something, you know, in our family, or it may be in relation mm. to, you know, the politics in the world. Mm. Uh, and I think being able to pay attention to that and face that pain is such mm. an important way for us to to be able to to bring yeah. a mature sensibility to to the Mm. the changing times that we're living in Mm. um and to be able to like you say experience that wholeheartedness and i think of Brene brown's work in that sense as well Mm. and that um you know those who are resilient to those difficult times are the ones that are able to to have courage to be vulnerable to know that vulnerability is simply part of life it's not a weakness Mm. it's it takes courage and strength to Mm. to acknowledge it and to to and and i think of that in terms of leadership as well that Mm. you know leaders are vulnerable sticking Mm. your neck out putting putting yourself out there and so so i guess i guess another question i have for you is what advice do you have for people who really want to step up and to put the themselves out there to put something out into the world mm. based on your experience and where you've gotten to what would you so say the first thing I'd say if you're an employee is to start where you are and don't escape and think that oh I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to start this business and it'll be feeding me within six months and it's a nice dream um, yeah I, I fundamentally believe that we can find purpose with our work right where we are, mm. that it's our responsibility to bring that to our work and to own it and it's not up to us to wait for the leaders, the mandated leaders to prescribe it and 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 it's an and-and. So, mm. you know, I get many people coming to me going, I'm just about to leave, I'm going to start this business, I don't know what it's going to look like yet but I'm going to quit and then I'm going to start it and... I always say that um, 
this is why I run the Purpose Project as because I like the idea of a project um, because uh, if you were like the litigation lawyer, for example, now she could have gone and said, I'm out of here, I'm going to start this mentoring company and I'm going to invest thousands of dollars in building a mentoring online platform. Meanwhile, I'm not earning a living and I'm building this thing and that adds a whole lot of other stress to whether that project's actually going to fly. So my advice would always be it's an and-and, it's not an either-or. And so as you work through the circles of what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs and what you can be paid for, you actually do them in conjunction. And if you are that passionate about it, you'll find the time. Even if you work 60 hours as a litigation lawyer, then you'll find the extra 20, 30, 40 hours that you require during a week to actually build that other thing. Mm. And so my view is that we should develop what I call purpose projects, which are really about prototyping, they're about testing, they're about playing with a concept and feeling your way into whether this next purpose-driven livelihood or vacation is actually going to be the thing that you really want to drive yourself, drop yourself into. Mm. I think there's a lot of hoo-ha in the market about the startup world and flee nine to five and you can make it on a desert island with a little laptop in your lap and while you're sitting on a floaty in the middle of the Bahamas in the ocean and there's a lot of rubbish out there about that. Yeah, I don't I subscribe totally to that. Agree. I, yeah. I think I think that, you know, if I had my time over, I've been in business 14 years, I'm literally unemployable now, but if I'd had my time over 14 years ago, I think I would have taken the time to find myself a seriously good mentor or coach and I would have stayed working while I explored the potential um, because when I left the corporate world, I did not know any business owners. I knew no one in, in the business space, small mm. business space, mm-hmm. And it was like jumping off a cliff. And and I'm not so sure, <laughs> you know, I'm not so sure the net appeared. You know, yeah. literally I think I probably spent a few time, quite a bit of time on the rocks. And um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm a realist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. And, and so I feel like that, um, that that would be my biggest piece of advice is to start where you are. You don't need to run away to France like I did and start all over again, although I would also advocate that if, <laughs> if, it's, if it's done with, um, with some sense of responsibility and that action precedes clarity, like that you, you, oh. you know, if, if someone says they want to be an author to me and they haven't written a book, I say, well, have you even written a blog? No. It's like, well... <laughs> How can you say that your purpose or that thing you really want to do is write a book if you've, if you've not even practiced it? So mm. this is the idea of being becoming a practitioner of purpose and actually choosing projects. And a project has a deadline, it has an outcome. I don't like that word deadline. It has a goal. Lifeline. It has a, a lifeline, yes. It has, it has some um, metrics around it. And um, a lot of people, I didn't share this, but um, one of the things I share in my workshops is the definition of purpose because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are still a bit sketchy around what purpose actually means. Yep. And the best definition that I've found is by a guy called William Damon who wrote The Path to Purpose, which is how to f- help your young 
that your, the young generation find their path in life. Okay. And it's an amazing book. I thoroughly recommend it. It's mm. probably the second best book on purpose to Man's Search for Meaning, which okay. is um, That's what I'm reading right now. Victor Frankl's um, yeah. amazing um, book. And um, he says that the definition is a stable and generalised intention to accomplish something mm. that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential for the world beyond self. Okay, yep. That's And I love right. that definition because it grounds this idea of purpose. One, mm-hmm. you have to do something. It's You're on a path. You have to accomplish something. The second thing is it's got to be meaningful to you, so it's based on what you stand for, what matters to you, what, what you're passionate about, what your values are. And then the third thing is that it's got to be consequential, which means it's being of service to others, it's making a positive impact on humanity, it's regenerating the environment, whatever. So so it's always important when we talk about this idea of purpose to ground it in something quite, quite um, real, which is why I, I talk about the idea of developing purpose projects rather than finding that one universal purpose. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, that, that sounds much less risky than committing to, a, you know, a, a path for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, I hear a fair, like, I mean, in some ways, purpose seems lofty, but a lot of what you're talking about is quite grounded. But I'm imagining there's, um, you know, and, and especially when it comes to things like feminine leadership and, and that type of thing, that there might be people who either are confronted or just don't quite get it. So what do your adversaries say about you and how do you deal with that? I don't have a lot of um, adversaries that openly say anything to me. I, I kind of wish they would. I, I'm quite happy to have rigorous debates. And um, So what do you think they might say if, if they were open? Uh, I think that I think I think my views do my position sort of does polarize people. I was speaking at an event earlier this year. It was in the waste industry to a, a large, largely male um, 40 50 plus year old uh, cohort. I heard afterwards from the event manager that half of the people in the room absolutely loved my talk and the other half just thought it was rubbish. And, and it was quite interesting because uh, I thought, well, that's the audience that I need to be in, in front of because, um, as um, Oscar Wilde said, the, the worst, there's only one thing worse than being talked about and that's not being talked about at all. Mm, yeah, I like that. So, so what I would say to my adversaries or why, what I would say is, I love a robust discussion and all points of view are valid. Everybody is valid in their own way and that we all have different values and beliefs and that's what makes the world a better place and that um, the last thing I would say in terms of as we're making choices and decisions in life, if you were, and I read this in a book and I read it, I, I can't even remember where I read it, but if you were the CEO of an organisation and you're standing with your grandchild in your arms right now, mm. would you make the decision you're about to make in your company? Wow. 
Wow, that's a great question. And if you were standing on this beautiful oak tree, a thousand of 200-year-old oak tree, and you were making a decision in your company about uh, whatever that might be, would you still be making that decision in terms of the environment? So there's a human aspect and an environmental aspect. And I really believe that nature has so much to teach business. If we could bring leaders around a tree and get to think about how a tree coexists in the beautiful environment and and how it, it gets to a certain size and it doesn't gobble up all the other trees, unlike corporations. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what lessons can um, enterprise learn from, from nature, I think, and, and always putting our future generations at the heart of every decision that we make. And to me, that's fundamentally where your purpose drills right down to, you know, my why is my 18-year-old son, Billy, mm. and uh, his generation and his children's generations and we, we thinking beyond the circumstance of today and the next quarter's profits and um, the shareholders' demands and thinking beyond that and being fearless enough to think beyond that and make wise choices for your organisation that actually um, are fearless and that do take into account uh, humanity and and the planet. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's probably... What I would say to an adversary, someone who who is opposed to perhaps my views, Hmm. um, think about your child, grandchild, and and think about about nature. Hmm. How can you coexist? How can business coexist? How can we as as individuals coexist with all that's important and beautiful? Not to mention the arts and the list goes on and on. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Wow, that's great. And and perhaps that's a good point to end on. So I'm... I'm, um, I'm really excited about uh, the Purpose Project and when this airs, it will be close to when the book will be ready. But if people are listening to it before it's ready, how can they get in touch with you? To- so um, the, on my website, you can download uh, the first few chapters of the book and then it will be uh, out by uh, um, around March. And I'm also running um, workshops in uh, February the 3rd and also which it might not be aired by then, and I'll be running them every six weeks at the Abbotsford Convent under an oak tree. Ah, excellent. Not all day under an oak tree, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. Well, I'll um, certainly put all of those links to the show notes and all of the resources that we talked about before, books, etc. And, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to um, have a chat with us today. Thanks for inviting me, Tether. It was fun. Thank you. I think it's pretty obvious how much I enjoyed this conversation. So much of what Carolyn said resonated strongly for me. So many similarities to my own philosophies. And at times, it sounds a bit like purpose is the answer, but I reckon she's onto something. Similar to our conversation with Simone Maus in episode 5, purpose really is where it all begins. And without it being central, it's like being rudderless. And when we start to get curious about our higher purpose, it brings us back to our why, making what we're doing far more meaningful. And perhaps it enables us to make a real living instead of slowly dying when we're disconnected or dismissive of purpose. 
it feels like there's potential for some revolutionary shifts here. So what can we learn from this? What can we ask ourselves to get the most out of this conversation? How connected to purpose are you? Has it changed recently? Does the organization or organizations that you work with or lead have a clear purpose that is generated by and owned by the people in it? When was the last time you felt connected to your purpose? And what does that say about you? What resources have you found useful in purpose hunting? Do you have purpose practices or projects that keep you connected to your why? If so, send them in. Share them with the Tall Poppy community. You can email poppy at tathrastreet.com or post on the comment page on this episode, which is tathrastreet.com forward slash podcast. Look for the episode with Carolyn Tate on Higher Purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tall Poppy. So coming up, I just want to give you an idea of who we'll be talking to. So we've got Didier Elzinga, who is the CEO of Culture Amp, Liz Blake, who's a leadership consultant and mentor, Lorraine Niguenya of Useful Link, and Fleecy Malay, spoken word artist and inspiring leader. Thanks for listening to Tall Poppy. Hope you enjoyed this. If you did, I'd love it if you wrote a review or shared this. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.